European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 13, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Acute myocardial infarction, triggers, interventional management, and outcomes. The open artery theory of acute myocardial infarction states that rapid reperfusion of an occluded coronary artery is the most effective therapy in such patients, and the evidence is overwhelming. Mortality has declined from 15 to 20% to around 5 to 7% in experienced centres. However, reperfusion after prolonged occlusion may also further increase the damage to the myocardium due to oxidative stress, inflow of inflammatory cells, and release of chemokines and cytokines. A current opinion entitled Targeting Reperfusion Injury in STEMI Patients, Trials and Tribulations by David Garcia Dorado and colleagues from the Hospital Universitari Valdebron in Barcelona, Spain, addresses and updates this issue. As the authors remind us, despite timely reperfusion by primary percutaneous coronary intervention, Mortality and morbidity following an acute ST segment elevation myocardial infarction remain significant, with 5-7% to death and up to 20% prolonged or new hospitalization for heart failure at one year, particularly in those with large infarcts. Although reperfusion is essential to salvage viable myocardium, the process of restoring blood flow to ischemic myocardium can by itself induce the death of cardiomyocytes, a phenomenon known as myocardial reperfusion injury, which is thought to contribute up to 50% of the final myocardial infarct size. Unfortunately, many trials failed to prove the reperfusion hypothesis. As such, provided the reperfusion injury paradigm is correct, New treatments capable of targeting myocardial reperfusion injury effectively would be required to reduce myocardial infarct size, to preserve left ventricular systolic function, and prevent heart failure. However, the search for such effective therapies remains challenging either because the right target has not been found yet, or because the concept is false. In this consensus article, the authors further discuss the potential reasons underlying the neutral results of recent clinical trials and explore the future possibilities for reducing myocardial infarct size and improving clinical outcomes in reperfused ST-segment elevation myocardial infarction patients. Infarctions of any kind commonly lead to left ventricular dysfunction of various degrees. However, the nomenclature used to describe different states of myocardial dysfunction is poorly defined, which can lead to difficulties in interpreting and applying trial outcomes. In their clinical review, Taxonomy of Segmental Myocardial Systolic Dysfunction, Adam Kenneth McDermott and colleagues from the University of Leeds in the UK note that the terms viable and hibernating are commonly applied interchangeably and incorrectly. The range and inherent differences between imaging modalities used to define myocardial health and disease add further challenges to a consistent definition. The unexpected results of several large trials have led to renewed discussion regarding the definition of dysfunctional myocardial segments and drive the need for an appropriate taxonomy. 
This article aims to define the diverse myocardial pathologies that may affect the myocardium in ischemic heart disease and cardiomyopathy and how they may be assessed with non-invasive imaging techniques. As again stated by the most recent ESC guidelines on prevention, hypertension is still one of the most important cardiovascular risk factors. Its etiology remains uncertain in most cases, although environmental factors have been made responsible. In a meta-analysis article entitled Long-Term Exposure to Ambient Air Pollution and Traffic Noise and Incident Hypertension in Seven Cohorts of the European Study of Cohorts for Air Pollution Effects, ESCAPE, Katharina B. Fuchs and colleagues from the University Children's Hospital in Dusseldorf, Germany, investigated whether traffic-related air pollution and noise might be associated with incident hypertension. They included seven cohorts of the European Study of Cohorts for Air Pollution Effects. Initially, they modelled concentrations of particulate matter with aerodynamic diameter of less than or equal to 2.5 microns, less than or equal to 10 microns, over 2.5, and under or equal to 10 microns, i.e. coarse particulate matter, soot, i.e. particulate matter 2.5 absorbance, and nitrogen oxides at the addresses of participants with land use regression. Residential exposure to traffic noise was modelled at the facade according to the EU Directive 2002-49-EC. Subsequently, hypertension as 1. self-reported and 2. measured i.e. systolic blood pressure equal or above 140 millimeters of mercury, or diastolic equal or above 90 millimeters of mercury, or intake of BP-lowering medication was documented. Among 41,072 participants free of self-reported hypertension at baseline, 15% incident cases occurred within 5 to 9 years of follow-up. The incidence of self-reported hypertension was positively associated with particulate matter 2.5 with a relative risk of 1.22 and particulate matter 2.5 absorbance of 1.13. These estimates decreased slightly upon adjustment for road traffic noise, which was weakly positively associated with self-reported hypertension. Among 10,896 participants at risk, 3,549 new cases of measured hypertension occurred, but there was no clear associations with measured hypertension. Thus, long-term residential exposures to air pollution and noise are only associated with an increased incidence of self-reported but not measured hypertension. The clinical value of these findings therefore needs to be reassessed. Nevertheless, environmental factors such as air pollution and noise may still act more consistently as triggers of acute myocardial infarction. Indeed, a growing body of evidence suggests that chronic low-grade inflammation is involved in acute coronary syndromes. In a clinical review entitled Climate and Environmental Triggers of Acute Myocardial Infarction, Mark J. Claes and colleagues from the University Hospital Antwerp in Belgium highlighted the increased risk of acute myocardial infarction caused by exposure to air pollution and cold temperatures. 
such risk factors would be of considerable interest as they are modifiable in nature. The current body of evidence about the biological mechanisms linking environmental changes to atherothrombotic events and the impact of climate change on cardiovascular health are discussed. Finally, recommendations for prevention and public policy are presented. Patients with acute coronary syndromes are currently treated with primary percutaneous coronary intervention and placement of a drug-eluting stent either immediately if patients present with an ST-segment myocardial infarction or within the next 24 to 72 hours, depending on risk, if presenting as a non-ST-segment myocardial infarction. Due to the application of heparin and glycoprotein 2B-2A inhibitors, during the intervention and the prescription of dual antiplatelet therapy thereafter, patients are exposed to a significant bleeding risk. Although a true clinical challenge, high bleeding risk patients with an acute coronary syndrome undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention have never been specifically studied. In a fast-track manuscript entitled Bioluminous A9 Polymer-Free Coated Stent in High Bleeding Risk Patients with Acute Coronary Syndrome, a leaders-free ACS sub-study, Christoph K. Naber and colleagues from the University Hospital in Essen, Germany, investigated this in a pre-specified leaders-free sub-study. Leaders-free included 2,466 patients undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention who had at least one of 13 predefined items of an increased bleeding risk. Of these, 659 acute coronary syndrome patients were included in this analysis. At 12 months follow-up, treatment with the Biolimus A9 coated stent was more effective with a lower incidence of 3.9% of clinically driven target lesion revascularization as compared to its bare metal comparator with 9%. Furthermore, the Biolimus A9 coated stent was safer with a cumulative incidence of cardiac death, myocardial infarction, or definite or probable stent thrombosis of 9.3% as compared to 18.5% with the bare metal stent, driven by significantly lower rates of cardiac mortality of 3.4% versus 6.9% and myocardial infarction of 6.9% versus 13.8%. The authors conclude, as suggested already by others, that in patients at high bleeding risk presenting with an acute coronary syndrome, the use of bare metal stents should no longer be recommended. The Biolimus A9 coated stent currently has the strongest evidence for its use in this indication. These clinically relevant conclusions are further discussed in an editorial by Yoshinobu Onuma from the Thorax Centre in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Although guidelines recommend specific interventions for the management of patients with acute coronary syndromes, their efficacy and safety also depends on the quality of care in individual medical institutions. In their research manuscript, Performance of Hospitals According to the ESC ACCA Quality Indicators and 30-Day Mortality for Acute Myocardial Infarction, National Cohort Study Using the United Kingdom Myocardial Ischemia National Audit Project, MENAP, Register. 
Owen John Bebb and colleagues from the University of Leeds in the UK investigated the application of the European Society of Cardiology Acute Cardiovascular Care Association quality indicators for acute myocardial infarction for the study of hospital performance and 30-day mortality. The National Cohort Study had 118,075 patients from 211 hospitals available within the MINAP registry for the years 2012 and 2013. Overall, 16 of the 20 quality indicators could be calculated. 11 quality indicators had a significant inverse association with grace risk-adjusted 30-day mortality. The association with the greatest magnitude was high attainment of the composite opportunity-based quality indicators in the range of 80 to 100% as compared to zero attainment with an odds ratio of 0.04. Increasing attainment from low with an odds ratio of 0.42 to intermediate with an odds ratio of 0.15 was also significantly associated with a reduced risk of 30-day mortality. A 1% increase in attainment of this quality indicator was associated with a 3% reduction in 30-day mortality. The quality indicator with the widest hospital variation was Fondaparinux, received among NSTEMI, and the least variation was seen with center organization, while seven quality indicators had minimal variation. GRACE risk score adjusted 30-day mortality with a median of 6.7%, varied by hospital from 54 to 7.9%. Beb and colleagues conclude that 11 quality indicators were inversely associated with 30-day mortality. Increasing patient attainment of the composite quality indicator was the most powerful predictor. A 1% increase in attainment resulted in a 3% decrease in 30-day mortality. Thus, it appears that the ESC quality indicators for acute myocardial infarction are applicable in a large health system and have the potential to improve care and reduce unwarranted variation in death from acute myocardial infarction. This issue concludes with a meta-analysis entitled Diagnostic Performance of Cardiac Imaging Methods to Diagnose Ischemia-Causing Coronary Artery Disease when directly compared to fractional flow reserve as a reference standard, a meta-analysis. By James K. Min and colleagues from the Weill Cornell Medical College in New York, USA. The authors determined the diagnostic performance of single photon emission computed tomography, stress echocardiography, invasive coronary angiography, coronary computed tomography angiography, fractional flow reserve derived from coronary computed tomography angiography, or FFRCT, and cardiac magnetic resonance imaging with fractional flow reserve as a reference standard. PubMed and Web of Knowledge were searched for published articles between January 1st, 2002 and February 28th, 2015. 23 studies, including 3,788 patients and 5,323 vessels, performing fractional flow reserve, were identified. On a per-patient basis, the sensitivity of coronary computed tomography and geography, or FFRCT, and cardiac magnetic resonance averaged 90% and were higher than for single-photon emission computed tomography with 70%, 
stress echocardiography with 77% or invasive coronary angiography with 69%. The highest and lowest per patient specificity was observed for cardiac magnetic resonance with 94% and 95% respectively, and for coronary computed tomography angiography with 39% and 95% respectively. Similar specificities were noted for single-photon emission computed tomography with 78% and 95%, stress echocardiography with 75% and 95%, FFRCT with 71% and 95%, and invasive coronary angiography with 67% and 95% respectively. On a per-vessel basis, the highest sensitivity was for coronary computed tomography angiography with 91%, cardiac for magnetic resonance at 91% and for FFRCT 83% with lower sensitivities for invasive coronary angiography with 71% and single photon emission computed tomography at 57%. Per vessel specificity was highest for cardiac magnetic resonance with 85%, FFRCT with 78% and single photon emission computed tomography with 75%, whereas invasive coronary angiography reached a lower specificity of 66% and coronary computed tomography angiography of 58%. The authors conclude that when comparing cardiac imaging modalities directly to fractional flow reserve, cardiac magnetic resonance had the highest performance for diagnosis of ischemia in patients with coronary artery disease with lower performance from single photon emission computed tomography and stress echocardiography. Anatomic methods of coronary computed tomography angiography and invasive coronary angiography yielded lower specificity with functional assessment of coronary atherosclerosis by stress echocardiography, single photon emission computed tomography, and FFRCT improving accuracy. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.